Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Glenn Stallsmith. Glenn is a pastor who serves two United Methodist churches in rural North Carolina. He's also a Ph.D. student at Duke Divinity School. For 12 years, he lived in the Philippines, working as an ethnomusicologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He's also the reviews editor of Global Forum on Arts and Christian Faith. I give you Glenn Stallsman. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thanks, Scott. It's good to be back. It's good to be with you, and I hope all is well. I noticed that you you posted on social media that you're glad you're grateful for your student experiences, but you're glad not to be a student anymore. Yeah, that <laughs> you're moving on in educational. I mean that's. Uh, done coursework and all that stuff. In that liminal space of a doctoral program where I guess I'm not really a candidate yet, but I've completed all the classes. So I've got to take exams and um, do a dissertation proposal in the next year. But yes, next time I go into a classroom, it will be uh, to be a teacher or teaching assistant, not as a student. Awesome. Awesome. No class. Perfect. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, here we go. We got the readings. That's that's like one of those Fat Albert things. It's like school like in the a, summertime. You're like a t- <laughs> no class. Yeah, no class. <laughs> so our first reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 9 through 15, where Paul has this vision of a man and a master pleading with him, saying, come over and help us. And when he sees this vision, he tries to cross over to Macedonia. Then he set sail from this place he's been kind of stuck for a little while at Troas, and he winds up in in Philippi, uh, which is a big city in Macedonia and a Roman colony. And there's this woman, Lydia, there, who is uh, someone who was a worshiper of God. And it seems like there were, you know, she somehow was connecting with people that worshiped the God of Israel in prayer. And she and Paul connects, and her whole household is baptized and i guess we have a story of the emergent philippian movement here you know the the, the church in philippi here here it starts as a result of paul ha- spending some time kind of hoping to get a foot ro- a foothold in asia and that doesn't work he's, he's kind of stuck in troas nothing no doors are opening for him and he through all these turns of events winds up with this interesting connection with Lydia. Yeah, this is really in one of the most tumultuous sections of Acts. And the lectionary passage conveniently starts right at verse 9. So it, so it jumps in right after all of that. The, the, the three verses that preceded are really difficult theologically. Unless you, unless you really want to talk about providence and, and God's leading, um, maybe it is best to start with verse 9. But, but you're right. You know, is this is also a time where it's helpful to turn to the very back of your Bible and check out the maps because these this very beginning of his second journey is is the time where you want to find out where all these these towns are, and and just do yourself a favor, preacher, or if you're 
recruiting elector to read, make sure to spend some time pronouncing the names ahead of time so you don't get stuck in the pulpit or the lectern um, without having thought of Samothrace and Neapolis and Philippi uh, before you before you get up there. Um, yeah, but 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 trying to get up to Bithynia and Asia, and it says that the that the Holy in the first instance the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go, and then the Spirit of Jesus, which is a sort of an anomalous uh, phrase within the New Testament, um, wouldn't allow him to go other places. And of course, there's wild speculation about what that was. Um, some people have said that Peter was up in that region, and that in order to keep Peter and Paul on, you know on separate tracks and not overlapping and competing with each other in ministry that God made sure that they had separate, separate areas where they were evangelizing. Um, I like that interpretation. It makes sense, but I don't know that it's the only, the only way to read it. Um, but yeah, then he gets, then he gets to the coast and he's beckoned in a dream to cross from Asia to Europe. And this is what changes the course of the whole world, right? Europe gets evangelized. Yeah. And it's interesting because this, this, course of events that you're right does change history happens through a series of things that were probably frustrating paul and barnabas have a falling out barnabas the son of encouragement then he 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 hooks up with this other guy with prophetic gift silas but silas seems to only be the naysayer god's saying stay out of here god's saying Mm. stay out of there and you know paul has got this zeal to spread the word has this sense of calling and it seems that's being frustrated then he has this strange dream and it's almost and you know you have lydia there who you know, it seems to have found in with a couple people who are meeting in this remote place to send prayers to the far off God of Israel. It seems like Lydia, you know, but Paul becomes Lydia's miracle. You know, I mean, she, that it's one of this great sort of foundational events in the history of the spread of the church happens when Paul feels like his life and ministry are going in the wrong direction, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> and this does not look like his dream congregation or his dream mission field. Certainly not. And he doesn't get to stay very long because because he gets arrested and thrown in prison. And he and Silas sing through the night and they don't leave when there's an earthquake. Um, but they still feel like they need to get out of town at the end. Lydia is a great bookend at the end of chapter 16, um, which is, of course, outside the scope of, of this particular Sunday's passage. but. Um, shows how they went back to her house after they got out of prison before they left, um, before they finally departed um, Philippi. I, yeah, I, I, I think the preaching focus here is really Lydia and her gifts and her calling. Um, I think it's so interesting that it's a man from Macedonia that beckons Paul to come across the strait and enter Europe, but yet it's a woman who receives him and gives him his first real launching point in ministry over there. Um, she's the main character here and, and really shows how the hospitality of, I guess you could call it for lack of a better word, the lay people who receive the apostles and are the ones who feed them and clothe them and provide them housing and go to visit them in prison when they're imprisoned. I'm hearing echoes of Matthew 25. Um, that that's like the real work of the ministry that God is blessing. It's through people who receive the apostles and, and that's when the spirit is unleashed. Otherwise, didn't Jesus tell people to leave town and and wipe the dust off of their feet and and curse towns that wouldn't receive them hospitably? Yeah, man, that's what you do if 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 the if the if your guest preaching and there's not a good fellowship hour, you that's right. Afterwards, you you dust <laughs> you just you you wipe the dust off your feet and curse them, curse so, them and the town. <laughs> 
one one I don't know if this is a a, a a thing you want to mention in your sermon necessarily, but maybe if you're doing a Bible study on this, verse 10 is one of the first we or us passages that you get here where the narrative shifts uh, to the first person plural, which also there's speculation about what exactly that means. I think most common one is a thought that maybe at some point Luke himself joined the ministry team here and was actually a part yeah, yeah. and was a first first or an eyewitness of these events. Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, that great book by Tomas Halik, Patience with God, he talks about how the thing that atheism and and fundamentalism have in common is that they're impatient forms of faith with very little tolerance for mystery. And it, it's interesting because both Lydia and Paul are ha, have to be patient. I mean, they're both I mean they're about to meet each other. And even after they meet each other, they're probably not seeing it as this Maybe, you know, as the monumental thing that it is, and yet they're both looking, you know, for a monumental connection with the God of Israel and and to, you know, be caught up in his work. And, and they probably didn't expect that they would be kind of the answer to each other's prayers <laughs> or desires. And oftentimes <laughs> and that kind of patience and the willingness to be surprised are, are so much of what faith is all about. I think another interesting thing, too, that this Macedonian moment often gets taken out of context when it's preached or commonly understood is you have the impression that Paul was just sitting around not really doing much until God wakes him up all of a sudden and puts him in motion with this vision, when really Paul was clearly on a mission already. He was trying to go places. He was, you know, he had his map out. He had pins in it saying, let's go here, let's go there, for whatever reason. That's not articulated in Acts. He couldn't make it there. Maybe it was something. right. Right. Things are not going his way. But he's I mean, in motion. Yeah. You know, it's not like he was just sitting at home saying, "Well, I wonder if I should be in mission today." Um, and I think a lot of times yeah, he, he's we, in mission, and he's in mission, and the mission seems like it's failing or being yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like trying to trying to start a bicycle from uh, from zero motion is a lot harder than actually getting it turned around if you're actually already riding it. Um, Paul was not just waiting to get direction from God to do something. He was doing something. God had already given him that. He was in motion. This is just a re this dream is just a redirection. Um Yeah, of, yeah. Of, you of, can be patient and acting and and frustrated and failing all at the same yeah, time. That's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> So on to the book of Revelation. Here we go. Our our second our reading is from Revelation 21.10 and then jumps down to verse 22 through chapter 22, verse 5. Here the author is carried in the, in the spirit. Uh, this angel carries him up this high mount, mountain, sees the holy city. And it's interesting because he sees no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And it doesn't need sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God and it, it is its light and its lamp is the lamb and the nations walk by its light. You have this great vision of these people who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life as its inhabitants. We have a picture of the river of the water of life. Nothing accursed is found there anymore. And people see God's face. There's no more night. Uh, we have this sense of this is 
the end of history and and God is the victor and and light shines perennially. Is this how Game of Thrones ended last night? No. Uh, I don't I say I don't watch. Good. I just knew it ended. I just saw it on all the media, but I I've, I've never watched it. It was a pretty good ending, but I mean it was not it was more ambiguous than this. It was much more of a time between the times ending. Mm-hmm. So it would take not, a creative it, it was more pe- it would take a creative preacher to draw it, to draw and weave in Game of Thrones into the into this passage. You, you could do it more by way of contrast than promise and fulfillment. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah but there's this no, is interesting, right? Yeah, there's no secondary, no mediating uh, uh, features here, right? There's there's no need for sun and moon anymore because you directly have the light. There's no need for a temple anymore because you have the Lamb Himself right there in your midst. Um, just the immediacy there, I think, and I think that's that speaks across a wide variety of pieties, right? Doesn't matter kind of what your tradition is, the whole idea of of being in worship is to be in God's presence, and so I I think I really like these readings from Revelation during during Easter tide because I think they just kind of get to the heart of what our hope is and and what we would what we're we're longing for in, in an existential way. Yeah, it's interesting. This there's this line in The Weight of Glory from C.S. Lewis where he says that, you know, th- this desire to sort of bathe ourselves in in, in beauty and transcendence in, in glory. He says this is why we've peopled air and earth and water with gods and goddesses and nymphs and elves that though we cannot yet these projections can enjoy in themselves that beauty, grace and power of which nature is the image. That is why the poets poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that beauty born of murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't, or not yet. For if we take the image of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. And I think this the uh, this is the picture of the people of God getting in on the other side of the door. And the gates will never be shut. They're, they're there. Yeah. They're and, there, and, but there's no, no yeah. need to function. Yeah. 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 And in ancient city, of course, gates are the main means of defense, right? Gates and walls. And so there's no, nothing to threaten the city. So it doesn't. And also, it's interesting because, you know, Carl Bart in Church Dogmatics uh, 1 2 talk in, in section 17 talks about uh, revelation as the alphabung, like the, abolu- the abolition or the sublation of religion. And, you know, it's a, he, he thinks that there's this uneasy relationship between religion and revelation that the revelation of God is actually uh you know oftentimes religion is what happens in the absence of the revelation of god and and he says christianity is is the religion uh of of revelation not the revelation of religion and he says you know christianity only has power because it's just like the earth is only bright because the sun shines on it and so he really you know like this is a real relativizer of religion and temples and and edifices, right? Because those things will give way to God being in the light and the temple and the glory. Yeah. You know, you know what I love about the way Revelation concludes here is that it does not bring the redeemed humanity back into a garden. 
The scriptures, right, right, right. The it's, scriptures it's, it's, start in a yeah. garden. They end in a city, and all through the scriptures, the relationship between God's people and cities is very ambiguous and and yeah and and dangerous in many cases. And and yet, it shows us that when God gets through with all of this, we still have cities with us, but they're redeemed. Yeah, and the garden was always meant to become a city. Yeah, right? creation was meant to go somewhere. And you've got the yeah, you've got the garden happening within the city. You've got all these trees producing fruit year round, and so you have. Pardon the cliche, but you have the best of both worlds. Um, Absolutely. Combined in a wonderful way that the resurrection is a key to understanding. You have the brokenness of humanity and yet the, the telos, the, the, the direction of, of God's salvation plan um, coming together here. Just beautiful language. I, I will definitely read these verses as part of our worship services this weekend because it just speaks to, directly to – to our longing um, that we have. Right, yeah, it speaks to the longing of every human heart, yeah. On to the gospel reading. Now, we have two here. I'm preaching on John 5, 1 through 9. There's the other lectionary options, John 14, 20 through 29. We'll touch on both of them a little bit. Like, so the first one we have Jesus saying to Judas, not Iscariot. Uh, those who love, I love that, not Iscariot. That poor guy. Those who love me will keep my word. <laughs> exactly. And, and my father will love them and we'll come and make our home with, that, with them. There'll be this, you know, sense of abiding. And he says that, you know, I'm saying these things while, I, while I'm with you, but uh, I, you know, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the advocate. Uh, and there's something about that they have to be okay with him going away. So, you know, if you love me, you, you'll, you'll, you'll be okay with me going away. In, the last, in last week's reading in John 13, there's the sense in which, you know, I, where I'm going, you can't follow, right? And Peter, you know, oh, no, I, I can follow. I'll follow you anywhere. But there's the sense in which, you know, the, the redemption, what, God, what Jesus is doing for them, they can't do with him. Right, and and it's it also this this other going away is something that you know you you could rightly want to resist if you've been his disciple and friend. And yet, if you really love him and have the Father's heart in mind, you'll you'll welcome his going to the Father and the reception of the Advocate of the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. This this passage from John fourteen within this whole discourse in these four chapters of John is wordy. It it's it's one that would would really benefit from some rehearsed readings to not get up in the pulpit cold and try to try to read it for the first time but yeah i think i think what it comes down to like you're saying is is john's jesus here is trying to weave a picture of father son and spirit working together all the time and and although he's preparing the disciples for a reality that will seem like a removal and an absence um, it's not. Jesus' Jesus's body will be ascended, but yet the work of Trinity will still be very present. The Spirit is the same Spirit that was poured out on Jesus at his baptism, the same Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation. Uh, so I, I think those would be the kind of moves you'd want to make if you're going to preach from here and just maybe warm the people up for what's going to come on Trinity Sunday in a few weeks. 
And I think the easier preaching passage is 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 John five, right? Amen. Always go familiar. with narrative. Yeah. Yeah, right. Where we have where we have Jesus uh is in Jerusalem, but where there's this pool uh called in Hebrew Beth Zatha, which has five porticos, and there are many invalids there, many people paralyzed, the text says. Uh and there's this man who's been ill for thirty-eight years, and Jesus sees him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time. He says, Do you want to be made well? And then he he kind of launches into this protest sir i've known to put me into the pool when the water stirred up with the idea i guess that if the water stirred up it maybe maybe means an angel is landing there or something and you get healed uh and, and if i'm making my way someone steps in front of me and jesus tells him to stand up and walk and he walks and that day is this is the sabbath right so he's healing on the sabbath which if the sabbath if the sabbath is for man to commune with and have union with god it's interesting because jesus seems to create that that situation for this man i never i've read this passage several times before but i'd never thought to ask if putting someone in the pool would have also been a breaking of the sabbath law oh good question yeah good question on on the set yeah that's a good question maybe on the sabbath no one was healed there it's interesting too now you know augustine's interpretation of this is he says that the sick man at the edge of the pool that's five porches is symbolically sitting on the five books of the Torah and the law. And he, he says, these five porches signify the law, which bears the sick, but does not heal them, discovers them, but does not cure them. Uh, which I don't know that that's really what the author has in mind, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting, it's, it's interesting symbolic reading of the text. Yeah. You're yeah. This medieval, Medieval theologians are going to find typology everywhere. Yeah. But it's interesting that I think where the healing of the man, the man, this man, this by the pool is where, where he is a very sympathetic character is the way he sidesteps inquiry. You know, when, when we're asked about something very often, you know, when we're questioned, we play the martyr or we drone on about circumstances that made it impossible to change our situation. Or, you know, we, we, we tend to like either go to self pity or vainglory or things like that. Uh, and th- those are the many ways we kind of refuse that getting the help we need, right? Like it's off. It will do almost anything to avoid help. Right. But what's here is that like Jesus work of healing doesn't depend on the, the man's right response to his question. And in fact, like it, 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 it seems like Jesus is indifferent to that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, he doesn't respond at all. He like just that. says, don't, stand up, yeah. <laughs> which is not the only time Jesus says that to someone. Stand up, take yeah. your mat and walk, which would have also been a breaking yeah. of the Sabbath law, right? Carrying yeah. your mat. Yeah. 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 So it's just interesting that I think God's work of healing is – and God's grace, gracious work of redemption and grace is, is the prerequisite to, uh, us kind of, uh, getting over our, our shaky desire for it or apprehension. It's, 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 it's not that, you know, like that, that, that our sort of evasions and, and self-defense and defense mechanisms, you know, they, the only way we'll even in any way, uh, put them down is 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 after god's healing not before right and it just you know you get that theme every once in a while where it's like well i could try to work against god's purposes but (laughs) what what point is that you know and 
just uh, in the Acts reading from the previous Sunday, um, Peter in defending um, defending the baptism and the conversion of Cornelius and his household says, "Who was I to hinder God?" and and I think that's a good question that should be on our lips often. Um, what is? Yeah. Am, am I really going to get in the way of what God's doing here? Um, God, yeah. God seems to have a way of finding, um, finding ways uh, with or without me to get those things done. Yeah, and you know, we. I mean, we. I talked about Halik and the patience with God, and and when we're patient with God, we we put our faith in a patient deity. <laughs> yeah, which you know, thanks be to God for that. Well, Glenn, thanks for talking about these texts with me and blessings in your ministry this week and in your preaching. You too, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Glenn for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at MeaningfulWorship.blogspot.com. And thanks to you again for listening. Till next time, friends, fare thee well.